I don't think any of us end the year feeling particularly wonderful. I don't know, maybe somebody here is a very bizarre person who finished 2020 the happiest they've ever been. I think if we were to ask how do we how would we classify the year, how would we class ourselves in response to the year, I don't think any of us would say, well, I have this and everything's under my control. I think everyone, every one of us realizes actually we're not in control. We're a bit of a mess, and, and no matter what we try to plan, we fall short. And when it comes to that, we, we need something that remedies the problem that we have. We need something that says, just, well, well, here's your issue, and here's the answer to it. And in Mary, in some way, we get to see a picture of God that gives us an answer to all of our problems and all of our inabilities. And for those of you who maybe take notes, we're going to look at four things. Four things about God, and uh, what it tells us, and then at the very end of the fourth thing, it tells us our response to God. The first thing I want to say is this. God is the God who plans perfectly. God is the God who plans perfectly. Now, we come to the end of 2020, and I'd say it hasn't gone according to plan. Um, I, I'm a big film fan. I, I love films. I love movies. And last year had the record-breaking sort of movie intake for cinema and things like that. And the statement was, will 2020 be an even better year than 2019? And they talked about all the films that were going to be released. And it was like, looking at it, it was fantastic for a film fan. It was going to be wonderful. It was going to be a great year. And then it had been the absolute opposite. And even the whole year, to be honest, after this is going to change. Where a lot of the films that we watch will be watched online. We'll watch stuff at home where we normally go to the cinema. And things have changed, but they're not necessarily changing because somebody has planned and said, well, this is the ideal way that we will do things. It's generally been a year where things have been sort of that. But when you read this section, you get to see all these statements about history. And for us, it's quite easy to read Luke 1 and sort of forget that there's a lot of stuff that's gone on beforehand. But Luke 1 comes after a history of God promising his people wonderful things. So, so the Bible split into two parts. And I know for some of you, you'll know this. For some of you, it may be new. But there's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And sometimes we get the New Testament, we read the new part of it, and we think, well, that's what we need to know. But then we read about these things about Galilee and Nazareth and a virgin and David. And we sort of think, okay, what is the point? Are these just facts for the sake of facts? And you realize when you read the whole of the Old Testament, God has been leading up this point. And now the last book in the Old Testament that we have is Malachi. And Malachi is written about 540 BC, so 540 years before this is written. And God has perfectly worked out every single bit of detail of what he will do. And he doesn't make any mistakes with it. He doesn't make any, he doesn't cause any accidents or cause something that's not going to work out. Every single point of history, God has perfectly orchestrated. He has brought about this couple and this girl who is very young from a particular family to go to this place where they're going to go to Bethlehem where God years, centuries beforehand said that a child would be born in Bethlehem, a pretty pathetic place. And God said there's going to be this child and this child is my child that will go and will do what I've 
good thing is in 2020, like I say, we need a remedy to our inability to plan. Because I'm pretty sure all of us feel that we are a bit useless. But here's a God that plans perfectly. A God that has every single bit of history under his control and under his authority and in every single way perfectly designates the points where those things coalesce so that Jesus could come into the world to do something wonderful. That's the first thing, okay, about this. This is the God who plans. And you see this, when you read the details about this, these are all promises that God has given. These are not just empty, random statements that just appear. All of them are statements that God has said, this is what's going to happen. And now is the time where it happens. He's not like us where we are unable to plan. He plans perfectly. And with that, then, not only is he the God who plans perfectly, bizarrely, he is the God who uses weakness. And I don't know about you, but usually when we hear of somebody's greatness and somebody's grandeur, we sometimes feel inadequate. I don't know about you, but sometimes when you hear somebody that's really intelligent, you sort of get afraid to talk with them. Sometimes there might be other people we get intimidated by. Um, there may be the case that you've seen celebrities in the past. In the past, the most famous person I ever seen that uh, was going through an airport in Spain was Prince. Um, I don't know. I actually realized that some of you are so young that you're not aware who this is. Okay, but Prince was a musician, and at the time he was. I got to see him walk past all his bodyguards, and they just said, "Here's Prince." See him. Okay, but Prince was a phenomenally good musician. Now you can imagine, like for me, I enjoy a bit of guitar, but I'm not good at guitars by any means. Um, by my own standard, I'm a bad guitar, so that means I'm, I am a terrible guitar. Okay, but but imagine in that case, here's Prince, the phenomenal musician, and I try to play music with him. You realise that he knows. Well, how can I do anything with this person? And sometimes the temptation is to look at God, to see that he is the God who perfectly orchestrates, perfectly plans everything. And then we look at ourselves and we think, well, why would God have anything to do with us? Well, the truth is that this is the God who uses weakness. And when you read this section, this is a section of weakness and weakness and weakness. The first thing is that there's a weakness of this woman. You're upset about Mary, now she's young, she's probably late teens, and she's not married, hasn't known, known a man's late foot, and she's going to have a baby. And this is a girl who is not great by any standards. But yet God decides in his perfect plan, this is the way that I want to do this. And God doesn't make mistakes, it's not the case that God just decides randomly or willy-nilly. God decides in his perfect knowledge, this is the way that this will happen. But the other part as well is, you've got to read that there's this statement about this city in Galilee named Nazareth. Now, now I'm afraid of saying anything unless I cause offence, so I'm going to go to an example from Northern Ireland. When I was in school, okay, there was a place called Clinton, and now the reason why I can use this illustration because I'm pretty sure no one here is from Clinton. If anyone's from Clinton, I apologise for offending you, okay? But when we were in school, fentanyl was the place that was always, all the, the, the comments that are really demeaning comments was made about fentanyl. Now, there's no reason to be made, but just randomly we decided fentanyl was the place that, that fit that category. Now, Nazareth is that kind of place. 
It's one of these places that comes up later on where it says about Jesus, he comes from Nazareth. It's pathetic. It's weak. But yet God uses the weakness of this place to bring about this king. And this is a God who uses the weak things. But the true weakness and the full example of the weakness is not just in the type of way that he brings about his birth, not just the place that he comes from, but also in the type of death that he endures. And the reason why we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus comes into the world, the one who was created, who lived before, who created the world, became flesh. But he goes and he lives for about 33 years. Doesn't have much by the world's standards, not many accolades, and is taken and in the greatest sign of injustice is brought before a court, they lie about him, they take him, they free a guy who is guilty, and they take Jesus, they beat him, they whip him, they punch him, they spit at him, they put him on a cross, and they let him die the most horrendous death imaginable. And it was God's plan all along that in that weakest moment, God would bring about our salvation. In other words, God used it so that we could be forgiven for all the bad things we have done. And, and the good thing about being here, and especially with only having a mask, half masks, I, I can only see part of you, so I'm not too sure who all I'm speaking to. Yeah. And it's not the case that I have any prior knowledge, and that I'm coming here and it's wrong, someone has told me all the details about you, and heard all the juicy bits of information, and then he says, you know, here's the bits of touch on. But some of you may be fully aware of every single thing that you've done. And you might be sitting here with the guilt and the remorse and the shame and the embarrassment. And you realize your weakness and you think to yourself, how would this God use me or why would this God even consider forgiving me? The good thing is this is the God who uses weak things. And God is the God who forgives us because we are weak. And the wonderful thing for all of you here who are listening but if we ask God to forgive us, he will do it. We don't have to meet the standard we think he has. God is the one who's perfect, we're not, and he knows and he forgives us. And wonderfully for us to look and see this statement about Mary gives us an example that God uses weak things. So the first thing about God. God is God who's insane. God is God who plans things perfectly. God is the God who uses weak things and weakness. Third thing is that God is the God who gives a good thing. And again, this is all within the plan of God and the wonderful thing that God gives us. Look, look at what it says here, those that are following along um, in your Bibles. Okay, verse 32. We have a statement about Jesus. That Jesus will be born and call his name Jesus because he will save his people from sin. That's why he's called Jesus. He is the Savior. And then it says, verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And the wonderful thing is that he is a king who is good, and a king who lasts forever. Again, we said this, our God plans perfectly. So when this angel comes to Mary, says to Mary that her son will rule forever, this has been stated before. This has gone on long before Mary was born. For centuries, God said, I will send a king 
and he will reign the line of David, one of the great kings of Israel, and he will last not, not a few years, not a few decades, not a few centuries, not a few millennia, but forever. And he has a kingdom that never ends. And you can imagine for some of the people, David was their great king. They loved David. But David died. And all the good things that David was able to bring came to him. All the things that David tried to bring into action, he couldn't do because he wasn't perfect. But yet, God is the one who sends a king who lasts forever and will not be dethroned. Now, the wonderful thing about it is he is not a king who is a dictator. The type of king that is being promised here is a king who loves and cares for his people. And this is the great thing that we can have and know at Christmas. That we come before a king who is Jesus and we can celebrate him knowing that he loves and cares for us. When you think about it, we do not deserve that type of love. We do not deserve that type of rule. But God in his love and his kindness decides that there's going to be someone that will reign forever and that person will be perfect and will love his people. I think everyone here probably has at some point been to Windsor Castle. I don't know, maybe some of you have not been to Windsor Castle enough, but if you go outside Windsor Castle enough, I'm pretty sure every single one of us that have been there have not had the privilege of going up to the front doors and saying, I'm here to have lunch with the Queen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure all of us, if we tried it, would be laughed at. But this is the king that we will be with forever. And the king who doesn't say to us, well, I don't want to thank you. This is the king who comes and will live forever, but as well, when there's time on earth, does something that no other king would ever dream of doing. He takes our place. In the death that is the weak death, he becomes part of humanity. The king who deserves all worship and all praise goes to the cross to take our place so that we would be forgiven for the sins we have committed. And in turn then he says, come to me, put your faith in me and I will forgive you for what you have done. We do not deserve the king of God, but that is the king of God and his grace and kindness gives us. Here's the fourth thing. There's a king who plans perfectly, the king who uses weakness, the king who gives up, uh, the God who gives his king, sorry, the God who plans perfectly, the God who uses weakness, the God who gives the king. And then the final thing is this. This is a God that should be obeyed. When you read of what Mary does in response to it, you can imagine the scariness of this. Okay, I think for some of us, if you're a bit older, we might try to pretend that we're, 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 we're butch and we're able to stand and we're not afraid of things and all, okay? But think about it for Mary. Think about it for a second. She's scared. She's young. She's about to marry a man who, well, who may find out that she's pregnant and may decide to say, well, actually, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Who is told that she's going to have a son that will be the one who will bring about the salvation of the world. And you can imagine fear. And you can imagine the feeling of inadequacy, and she could legitimately say, Well, I'm not good enough for this. So look at what God, what, he, what she does in response to it. First 38. Mary said, Behold. 
I am the servant of the Lord, let it be me, or let it be to me according to your word. The wonderful Mary says to God, God, whatever you decide, I'll do it. And for us, the good thing is, and I'm pretty sure everyone here will be glad to hear the news, we are not having to say to God, God, do exactly the same as what Mary went through to me. But that's not what we're doing here. But Mary, in her response, hears what God has planned, and here what, hears what God offers, and says to God, God, I will obey you, and I will do according to your word, and for all of us here, the thing that God calls us to is not dramatic, it's not major, it is not so wonderfully significant that it, that it will cause us to be put to the, the forefront of history. It's one simple, small action. The thing that God calls us to is to put our faith in this Jesus, to ask him to forgive us for our sins and to say to God, Father, I know that I do not deserve this, I know that I am not good enough for this, and I know that I have every right to be condemned. But because you love me, because you offer me forgiveness, please honest this Jesus that you have sent, please forgive me and please save me. And the obedience that we are called to is obedience of faith and saying to God, God, please save me for what you do through Jesus. And this is the wonderful thing about this God that Mary tells us about here. This is a God that can be trusted. When we're called to the obedience in this God, it is the fact that this is built on those previous three parts. He is the one who plans for everything. He doesn't do anything by mistake. So the offer of forgiveness to you is not a mistake. The fact that God knows every single thing and orchestrates all of history, he knows you intimately, he knows you perfectly, and he still is willing to offer forgiveness, even though he is aware of every single part of us. This is the God who doesn't just say, here is forgiveness, and then finds out what we're really like. He knows us. As well, he is the one who uses our weakness and we think to ourselves, well, we can't trust him because we're not good enough. We can't keep it. He says, actually, he is the one that will sustain us and will help us to do this. You may feel in yourself that you cannot trust Christ because you know you're not good enough. The truth is, none of us are. But the good thing is, this is the God who uses weak people to bring glory to him because he is the one who does all the work through and for his name. But then as well, he is the one who gives us his kingdom. We can trust him because he is the one who gives us someone who died for us and loves us and cares for us. A great privilege that it is to be able to look at this and say, well, this is all that God calls me to. And he's proven himself in all these different ways. Why would I not trust him? And I do ask you here now, and this is one of the cases that it is good. I, I don't know you individually. The good thing is that they come here, I know a few people. But I don't know you individually to the point to know what's in your heart. I don't know what you are saying to God and saying to Christ, but in response to what we hear, our answer and our response to it is, please save me. And Jesus came into the world to die so that we could be forgiven. We can trust this God, we can trust him because he's proven himself. He's shown himself to be what he says he is. And therefore, the offer we have 
is dependable and that faith in Christ will guarantee our salvation, but we have to trust him. We have to put our faith in him and ask him to forgive us. So there's four things. God is the God who plans perfectly. God is the God who uses weakness. God is the God who gives the king. And God is the God who should be obeyed. And my prayer is for each of us here listening, that we do trust him and do put our faith in this Jesus that is coming today for us. Let me pray for us, and then I'll hand back to Ken. Father, we do thank you that you are the God that we can read about and, and see your greatness, see your work. Father, we thank you that you know us as well. And we realize for each of us here, there are parts of us that we think are hidden from others, but we know aren't hidden from you. Father, we pray if there is anything keeping us from trusting Christ, that you would, you would rebuke us and bring us to Jesus. And Father, we pray as well that we would trust you where we know we are weak. Help us to put our faith in Jesus. Father, we thank you for what we've done already. We thank you for what we've been able to consider. But we need the Holy Spirit now to bring to practice what we've heard. And we pray this all for the glory of your name.